From beautiful Ashland, Oregon, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining me today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. What an amazing time on our planetary home as a new paradigm for experiencing ourselves and our world is supported. We are being given an opportunity to integrate universal truths into our consciousness, to shift from a mindset of fear and duality, and to experience unconditional love and emotional balance. For me personally, I have learned much from my guest today, spiritual teacher and metaphysical author Michael Rhodes. Through his many books, international five-day intensives, and unique humor, Michael has helped many around the world to remember their true essence of light and love, to remember the truths about anger, fear, and duality, and to remember and embrace unconditional divine love. Michael has just released a new DVD, Choose Love, and he is here with us today to share with us his wisdom and his teachings about consciously choosing love. I welcome back to Spirit of the Dawn from Australia, Michael Rhodes. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, Caroline. My pleasure. All the way from Oz. <laughs> it's such a delight to speak with you. I know that uh, you, we're having snow and you're having uh, summer where you are in Australia. Yeah, it's a lovely day today. The temperature's around about 85 and um, my banana is my banana bunch is growing on the tree and everything is perfect. Fantastic, fantastic. And we both keep chickens. How are your chickens doing? Chickens are doing well. They're doing very well. They've got a mixed, mixture of, of uh, salmon faveroles and, uh, and one who's just a charity case and the others are Isa Browns. <laughs> okay. Michael, you are known internationally for your teachings about unconditional love and emotional balance and for those who aren't familiar with how you arrived at being a master and teaching could you give us uh, some of your background and how you ended up in Australia? Okay well like everybody else I got born but um, I started off in England and when I was uh, my father was he was a farmer and I worked on the farm with him and uh, he got sick when I was in my early 20s and then he died of cancer and it was a crossroads in my life so I was married at 21 and so at 26 with two children we emigrated to Tasmania the island state of Australia and uh, then I became a farmer again uh, because it was the only thing I knew I left school at 14 so it was the only thing I knew farming and uh, it was while I was in Tasmania that this big question hit me one day out of the blue. Who am I? And uh, that changed my life. And so I continued farming for a few more years. And then I left farming and started a community, an intentional community, and then left that eventually and um, traveled around Australia and um, ended up here where I live now, and uh, began writing books. Well, I began quite a bit earlier than that, writing books, and uh, my books were published, and uh, then the people who read them said, we want to talk with you, and uh, so 22 years ago, I began traveling the world, and I've been traveling every, every year ever since. So that's a fast summary. Okay, thank you. And 
what you do now around the world are these amazing five-day intensives and you go all over Europe and you go to Japan uh, yeah. can you can you tell us what the intensives are like well the intensive uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question my organizers have problem with describing them it's five days it starts at nine in the morning till six at night and um, what I find is when you sort of you know, I awakened when I was um, back in the um, 1986, so that's the physical date. Awakening or enlightenment is not a, it's not a physical or personal happening. It's something that takes place in the moment, and that moment stays with you and keeps expanding. But if you were to put a linear date, it was back in 1986, and that, of course, changed my life a lot. And um, through those... In the early days, I did what I call retreats, and the retreats were the five days. But I had a bit of a format, and um, it's rather like walking a tightrope, but I had a, a long pole and a safety net, and that was the format. And then my late wife died in, um, in 2006, and uh, that was, for me, a pretty devastating year. And I decided I would keep traveling, but during that year, um, she and I were in communication, and I wrote a book about that, Through the Eyes of Love, book one. And um, we, she, we were in communication. And by the end of the year, I'd reached the point I was, where she was begging me to let go of her. And I realized I was still emotionally attached. And so there came the moment that I let go. And in that moment, I experienced unconditional love. And it, it also kept expanding and is still expanding in the moment because unconditional love is only also held in the moment. And so that changed everything. And what I was doing, I let go of the old retreat um, format and I began to do the intensive. So they're much, you know, they've only been happening since about 2007. And in the intensives, I now walk the tightrope without a pole and without a without a catching net. And so it's spontaneous in the moment. And I allow, although you get, there are many ways of saying truth, I also allow life to speak through me in the moment. And so it's difficult to, to actually describe what happens. But generally speaking, it's a life-changing process for everybody who participates. What I mean by that is you could come and sit through five days and hold on to your program of beliefs, and you could be untouched. But if you came with an open mind, and um, which most people do, of course, you come with an open mind, then, then it would be impossible to go away after those five days without being changed in consciousness, a growing in consciousness. If you just sit with five days in silence with somebody who's awake, it, that's a consciousness changing experience in itself. Only I don't, um, I'm far from silent. <laughs> and so we do inner exercises, which is a experiential, so that people get to experience what I'm talking about. And basically, it's about the meaning of life, it's about unconditional love, um, emotional completeness, I call it and the meaning of life. And in five days, 
It's like I can I can sketch out the skeleton of exactly how you live life in a way that works. Now, what I mean by that is most people live their life in a way that doesn't work, and the hospitals are where the these people go. You know, most people end their lives sick. A few people die of old age. Well, actually, nobody dies of old age because it's a, it's a known scientific fact. We should easily reach 140. Every animal on this planet um, lives a life of seven times longer than it takes to develop the physical body. That is life's potential. And that includes a rat and that includes an elephant. Seven times longer than it takes to develop the physical body. So it takes us 20 years to develop our physical body. Seven twenties are 140. And we don't see many people reaching that age. And that is our potential age. That's the biological fact that we should be able to reach. And we don't. And we don't reach it because people attack themselves with their thoughts. And the thoughts precipitate attack emotions. And so... You know, we have wars because we're have inside every person in their heads is a battlefield, pretty well every person. When when you come to, to a state of unconditional love with yourself, because that's where it begins, that war ends and that inner battle ends. And so what I try to do in the intensive, and I'm still answering that question, even if it's a long-winded one, in the intensives, I try to, to, it's like I'm a signpost. I try to take people to show them the way, not try, I do it. I show them the way to reach this place where you live without inner conflict. And that works. In other words, if you live longer, your life works. You'll never find a hospital with a terminal ward for people to die of overdose of love. Possibly, maybe there might be a ward for overdose of sex, but certainly not love. And uh, so unconditional love, in fact, extends your life. And, and it works. If you're loving yourself, life works. And th there are no problems, no difficulties. And I've been counseling, spiritual counseling people for many years. And I have reached a point where I realize there is no such thing as a human problem. There's no such thing on this planet as a human problem. All there is is a lack of self-love because that's where it begins, loving yourself. So this is one of the things I teach is how do you find self-love? And I teach people how to find it. However, having said that, it doesn't mean that's an instantaneous process. It's, a, it's the beginning or continues in the process that people are already in. So that's what an intensive's about, to get across something that is rare in the human condition. You know, it's not just talking about love, which most people perceive as an emotion, and love is not an emotion. Love is the power of creation. So when you engage unconditional love, you engage the power of creation, and gradually you recreate yourself. And as you recreate yourself, you recreate your relationship with life. It's a pretty dynamic process, and um, I get a lot of fun doing it. I watch people come who are sick, and sometimes with cancer, and I see them go into remission, and they will tell me, on, they're aware that um, sometimes on the third or fourth day, they've gone into remission. 
time we've had people lose it completely. But that's another subject, and that may be a bit controversial. Wow, that was an amazing answer, Michael. Thank you so much. Would you say that the most important thing then is to uh, learn about unconditional love for ourselves? There is, there is nothing you could learn that is more important than that. We are today a, a species that has become left brain dominant. We have become overloaded with the intellect. We, we seem to seek nothing but knowledge. And, and, and what happens? We get sicker. We're probably in one of the sickest times we've ever been. We're told that we're now living longer than we've ever lived. That is complete and utter um, rubbish. You know, that is a con that they're putting over us. You can check out the records of people who have died in England, um, once you know how to find those records, of people who have died through these centuries in England, and many people live to, into their 70s, 80s, 90s, and 100s, providing they got enough food. But you see, history was written by the educated um, in, in Europe and England. That would probably be 3% of the people. So maybe of that, a few of those people wrote the history that's supposed to cover 100% of the people. Those few people who, had, who were educated were wealthy. They ate appallingly and they died young. Um, it's a fact in Shakespeare's time, if you were of a gentle, of a wealthy family and you went out to dinner, this is serious, you would often be weighed when you went to have your dinner. Um, your weight would be noted. Um, you would have dinner, a 12-course meal, every meal hinging around meat, um, beginning no vegetables because that was for peasants. It was not considered worthy food for the wealthy, the gentry. You would um, begin with lark's tongues and work your way up into the heavy meats with wine at every course, of course. And if you hadn't gained a, a, a kilo of weight, or shall we say between two and two and a half pounds in weight in that one meal, then they were not a worthy host. And so you can imagine how long they lived. But out in the villages... If people could get enough food, and generally they were supplied by the poachers, the people who illegally took meat, uh, you know, um, game from the, from the forests and the woods that were owned by the squires and the lords, if they could get enough food, they lived into their 80s and 90s, and this is recorded, and their ages, many of them are on records in, in um, villages in England, if you know where to look. And so... Anyway, to go through that, we're told that we're living longest. We're actually a sick species living on pills, and the, the multi-billion dollar industry of, of um, the pharmaceutical industry lives on the sickness of people, and they have no intention of curing it, as far as I'm concerned. When you're loving yourself, you do not get sick. You do not stay sick. When you're loving yourself... Your whole relationship with yourself changes. Every cell in your body, 50 to 60 trillion cells, become more dynamically engaged in life. The mitochondria that live in your body, that outnumber the cells of your body, it's like you are God communicating with them love. And everything in your body, everything in your 
um, physiological and psychological makeup changes, your relationship with love ch life changes simply because you're now tapped into the power of love. I could say a lot more. Well, thank you. That was really interesting. Um, can you explain a little bit to all of us how things do end up manifesting in the physical? <clears throat> you, how to bring that love through, you mean? Well, we, we're, we obviously know how to bring <clears throat> everything we do manifests eventually in the physical, but it's very interesting to be aware that it starts in another, in another place. So, Okay, yes. Well, this is what people, I mean, generally speaking, and not a lot of people get this. We think and we have thoughts. Now, we have, we have a physical body. We have many, several other subtle bodies. Two of those subtle bodies that are actually bodies within themselves is the emotional and mental. They're both completely metaphysical. The only part of us that is physical is the vehicle we use, our physical body. So we are, we are metaphysical beings using a physical body. We think we're physical beings, so three-dimensional. The only thing about us that is three-dimensional is the physical body, and the physical body tells it, does whatever you tell it to do. If you say lay down and shut your eyes to yourself, that's what you do if you decide to do that. And if you decide you're going to stay there, your body's not just going to get up and walk away and say to you, well, you stay there, I'm going somewhere else. It's like a car. You get in a car and you drive it. You get in a body and you're the driver, except we actually do not get in a body. You know, the soul comes into the, in, connects with the body somewhere around about three to five months while we're in, the, in the development of the fetus. But the 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 energy of the soul is far bigger than the physical body. And so when I was at school, I, I was taught that um, the body contains consciousness. People still believe this. The truth is, yes, the body contains consciousness, but consciousness contains the body. And so the consciousness of who you are, Caroline, is a lot bigger than your body. And so, in a way, you, you've never been shut in. You've not, you're, people use their body like a prison. They stay within their five bodily senses, which is ridiculous because we're far more than that. And so what I discovered a long time ago, in fact, I discovered it when I was a boy. I was sent to school, and they told me these lovely people there were called teachers, and they would look after me. Well, I went to a private school in England, and it wasn't a lovely place, and the teachers were not nice. They, could, they knew their subject, but I don't think they liked children. That's probably why they're in a private school. And, uh, and so I, I didn't do well at school because I was a very right-brain child in a very left-brain intellectual school. And what I used to do was stare at the teacher, and gradually with my with conscious imagination, I didn't know what I was doing, I would imagine them getting smaller and smaller until in the end I couldn't even hear their voice. And over a period of time, in my imagination, to me, they were getting smaller and smaller and I couldn't hear them. And so then I would stare out the window and I always positioned myself in the class that the teacher stood so I could see through the window without having to turn my head away from the teacher because they didn't like that. 
And so I would stare out the window and I would imagine myself out there. And very gradually, my experience on the, out, on the outside, way beyond the window into other places, became stronger and stronger until my reality that what I was experiencing outside that window was far more powerful than, than me sitting with a body in the classroom. What the teacher said, I hadn't a clue. So I was, of course, bottom of the class and stayed there pretty well my whole time at school. Then when I left school at 14, I discovered girls and grew up and became a, a, as a farmer's son and worked on the farm. And then I emigrated, uh, as I said, at about 26. But then when I became a farmer again, I began to realize that the way people were farming, it didn't work. And it occurred to me, this doesn't work. What, we're do what I'm doing here is stupid. I, but I learned from my local farmers. And so I would go out and sit in the fields and ask questions and answers would come. And I applied them and I got results. And so in the end, I became the leading organic um, farmer, one of the leading ones in Australia. But the point is, that being developed, and I remembered how as a child I used to move away from my body. And so I decided to revisit that because I'd always put that down to pure daydreaming. And I never intellectually wrestled with it. it. To me, it was daydreaming and not real. But when I got older and looked back on it and I realized the depth of my experience, I thought, hang on, this was real. And so I began to explore the world outside the body while, while um, by letting go of the body. Now, as you probably heard of, you have um, OOBEs, um, astral projection, where you go to sleep and leave the body. Well, I began to realize that you could do this wide awake. You didn't need to be asleep at all. And so I gradually learned something that is completely natural to us. I began to learn that, you know, I'm not a soul in a body. I'm not, ang I'm not in a prison that I can, in fact, move my awareness, my reality, out of that physical body, I can focus outside of it and leave it behind. And gradually I developed it, probably now, 50 years ago, and I developed it very, very powerfully till I could see behind mountains, as it were. And even when I went to check them out, what I saw was correct. And so I began to um, develop a very, very different relationship um, with life that most people do. And this is what I write my books about. And then you, as you grow in consciousness, so reality grows. As your reality grows, so you grow in consciousness. Now, most people are limited to what I call a personal reality. And then if you get a nation of people like America, all the people add up to an American consensus reality where we'd all agree to the same sort of thing. Most Americans will say, Okay, the past is fixed. You can't change it. Well, actually, that's wrong. The past is not fixed, and you can change your past because I've done it, and if I hadn't done it, I wouldn't be physically alive today. So all time occupies the same space at the same moment, and so the past, the future, and this moment all occupy the same, exactly the same moment, but it's in a greater reality, and there's no person, there is no personal, physical 
access to that greater reality. You have to go into your own greater reality, which is your metaphysical reality. And so we are metaphysical beings pretending to be physical. And that pretense is reducing us. And now that pretense has become a reality. And now people think that they are just physical beings and that you have a single lifetime, which is actually true, except it lasts for eternity. Um, but they think the life of a body is the life of a person. And the body which dies after, after being um, engaged with illusion and conflict and deceit and self-criticism, after, after about a maximum of 100 years of that, the body dies because it can't handle anymore. But if you were to live with unconditional love, and I was 70 when I discovered it, so it's not like that, that was a long time ago. When you discover unconditional love and you love yourself, I mean, for me, certainly I've stopped aging <clears throat> over the last, you know, I'm 77 next year. I've stopped aging somewhere around about 70. And um, people remark on this. They say to me, you know, well, how old are you? And I say, well, what do you think? Occasionally, sometimes I just tell them and they generally tell me I'm in my early 60s while I'm heading to my late 70s. But that's, that doesn't really matter. The point is my relationship with my body has changed because my relationship with life has changed. And when your relationship with life changes, you begin to realize that everything, everything is your relationship with life because your relationship with life is your relationship with yourself. So your relationship with yourself is equally your relationship with life. And how you relate to your life is exactly how life relates to you. And so you have this mental and emotional body. <clears throat> so the whole process of a human being, what we're about as regards to growing, is we have our thoughts. Now the thoughts always trigger and, and um, a, an emotion. You can't really think without having an emotion. Now you need to understand that most of our thinking is subconscious. I hope I'm not overdoing this. Most of our thinking is subconscious. Subconscious thinking happens without us being aware of it. So that's around about 60,000 thoughts a day. And most of it is attack. Um, this is known by psychologists. Most of it is attack and critical and judgmental. Only a part of it contains any happiness and, at all. And so this is happening. That triggers sub-emotions because a person who's living subconsciously is also living sub emotionally and this I'm afraid is not nice is about probably 90 to 95 percent of humanity living subconsciously and sub-emotionally that stuff kills us because it's a program running through us matrix the movies showed us that really that was a real insight into it you know we live in this illusion this huge illusion that isn't real because we don't live fully consciously and the amazing thing is a lot of clever subconscious people think they're living fully consciously. They have no idea. Now, your thoughts precipitate emotions and, and the emotions and thought then manifest in your physical body. And the idea is you look at your physical body. Oh, I've got this sickness. I've got this disease. Disease is exactly that word, out of ease. Dis-ease means out of harmony. 
And so my thoughts and emotions, we should be thinking, have taken me out of harmony. So what are the thoughts and emotions that have taken me out of harmony? I'll correct them. But nobody does it anymore. We just go along to the doctor who's doing exactly the same thing. And I'm not knocking doctors. I have many friends who are doctors and surgeons. And uh, they're, but they're doing exactly the same thing. They're just they're living also out of harmony. In fact, they die younger than most people because they work with people out of harmony. And um, that tends to take you out of harmony when you're all the time engaged with people who are out of harmony. And so what I do in the intensives, I teach people how to find inner harmony, how to bring themselves into an emotional state of emotional completeness. And the key to it all is unconditional love. The key to everything is unconditional love. Okay, sorry I was long-winded there, but I get a bit carried away on this. Oh, absolutely amazing, Michael. We're having a wonderful time talking with Michael Rhodes, and you're answering all the questions that I had. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was where we focus our energies is where uh, our lives go. Can you talk about that a little bit? Very easy. Where, where, you, where you focus, energy flows. Now, this is a fairly well-known one, where you focus, energy flows, but it's also your energy that's flowing. So it's not just a matter of life's energy. It's a matter of where you focus, your energy flows, and where you focus, you attract other energy to flow. The focus of most people is their subconscious thinking, and therefore the sub-emotions that come up from that. That is the focus of probably and I'm reducing this, maybe 70% of people, because there is an ever-increasing number of people who are becoming more and more aware. And although they struggle with this, they have an awareness that is expanding, and in that awareness, they are trying, they're doing their best to have a create a better focus. And so there's a slow change, but the vast majority of people have a focus they don't even know. My, my DVD is about focus, choose love. Choose love as your focus. And so when you choose love as a focus, you remind yourself constantly through the day, you know, I choose love. I consciously choose love. You cannot subconsciously choose love because the subconscious has no relationship with, with unconditional love whatsoever. The subconscious has a relationship with sub-emotions, and we have three levels of emotions, lower, middle, and higher. Those lower emotions would be a, an example, be, hi, how are you today? Or not bad, lower emotional response. Hi, how are you today? Oh, I'm okay, I'm fair, it's fair, fair. That's a mid-level um, emotional level response. Uh, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. I'm fantastic. That's a higher level of emotions. That's the level where we say to people, I love you, and, and we mean it. We mean I love you, but are we loving ourselves? You have to first be deeply in love with yourself, loving yourself, not, not criticizing yourself, not judging yourself, not comparing yourself, but truly loving and honoring yourself. Then you're engaging a whole different level of energy and that level is unconditional love so, and there's no emotion in that whatsoever 
So here's the paradox. When you engage unconditional love, when, in fact, you should never disengage. When you're with unconditional love, you, um, you, you feel emotions. You feel the emotion of joy. Of, um, there is emotion in peace. There are emotions within it, but those emotions are not they are not unconditional love. You get in a car. You're a person in a car. You're not now a car because you're experiencing yourself in a car. And it's exactly the same. When you're experiencing unconditional love and emotions come up, those emotions are not the love. They are what arise from within it. And this is where, obviously, humans a long time ago thought that love was an emotion. And so stopped, just stopped with that emotion. This is why every, every great teacher who comes to this planet, and I'm not including myself in this, even though I'm now teaching this, all the great masters have always taught love. I think most of them forgot to put the word unconditional in front of it. Um, they, many of them use the word divine because they thought that people understood them and nobody had a clue what they were talking about. Because everybody says, well, of course I love. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my mother and father. Yes, they do. But that's a human love. And it's okay. It's good. But that is not unconditional love. Because if our wife walks out on us and, and starts to have an affair with a next door neighbor or somebody like that, we suddenly stop loving them. In other words, there was a condition. I love you if you love me. Now, if you put that condition on yourself, which happens subconsciously, and you're criticizing yourself, the condition is, I'm criticizing and judging myself. I don't love myself. So therefore, in fact, you can't love anybody else. But we can play the game. And if I say to most people, do you love yourself? Oh, yes, of course I do. But they don't. They don't because you've only got to look at them and you know they don't. They don't because they're sick. They're hurting um, when you're unconditionally loving yourself, it's completely different. You know, I don't hurt. I'm, I'm 77 next year. I don't, have an, I don't ache. I don't have any pain in my body. I don't have any sickness. You know, I, I, I can get a cold, yes, when I travel particularly because I get out of my comfort zone. And, um, and I'm still working on that one. I'm getting comfortable being uncomfortable. But when you're like seven different beds in eight nights, that's rather tricky. You, you lose a bit of sleep and lack a bit of sleep, and that's when I can get a cold. And I'm also accepting I should love myself more in those situations. And so the, the relationship of unconditional love, nobody can press your buttons. It doesn't matter what they say to you. If, the, if somebody says something horrible to you, really nasty, they don't like themselves. They're having a really bad day with themselves. So talking back to them in a nasty way, is that going to improve anything? All you've done is join your consciousness with theirs. But if you're, they're really in a foul mood, if you just smile at them and say, have a nice day, what they say to you doesn't touch you because you don't happen to agree with it. And what you say to them just might one day penetrate and they might have a better day. So unconditional love changes your whole relationship with yourself and therefore with life and therefore with health and therefore with abundance, with everything. Well, to learn more about all these wonderful things, people can visit michaelrhodes.com and 
choose to get your wonderful new DVD, Choose Love. And I'm very excited about watching that. You also have amazing books, some of which I've read, and I'm looking forward to reading the others. And in your books, you have a very special relationship with Pan. Can we talk about Pan? We can, yeah. We can talk about Pan. <laughs> it's, not, it's difficult to talk about Pan because... Uh, yeah, I have a special relationship with Pan, and uh, it took me 20 years to come to terms with it, and I mean that, 20 years. I just couldn't really, you know, there's a part of me that is very deeply metaphysical, but I was also for a farmer for nearly half my life, and so there is an aspect of me that is very practical, very capable, and very practical, and very down-to-earth, and that part found it almost impossible to accept this um, spirit of nature, which is Pan. Um, the metaphysical part had no problem with it, so I was in conflict with that for a long, long time, 20 years. I'm not proud of that, nor am I ashamed. It was a battle, really, between the, the physical and the metaphysical, between the practical and the, in, and the, um, the uh, part of me that is um, spiritual. But so Pan, Pan is the spirit of nature. Pan is not a being. Pan is not a person. Pan is not a... Pan is a complete enigma. There's nothing... There are no words in any written language that can describe Pan because um, all language is based in physical and three-dimensional reality. And uh, that is... Pan is not physical and not three-dimensional. Um, but is very real. So the spirit of all nature, and that includes humanity, in the spirit of all, of all nature, there is a vast, vast intelligence that is connected with, with the wholeness of, of all life on earth and beyond. Um, in that intelligence, there are many, many levels of expression from... The highest level, which you could say Pan, is simply the intelligence of nature down through the Davic realms. No, I don't like the word down through. Continuing through the Davic realms into the realm of nature spirits. Everything which is beyond the vision of a human being through their eyes. So, so we, most people, most people, not everybody, but most people are limited to believing that what they can see is real, and if they can't see it, it isn't real. And when you consider what an X-ray machine sees, it's proving to us every day that our vision is very limited, but still people hang on, if I can't see it, it isn't real, which is sort of ridiculous, because if you get out of your physical body, then you no longer have a physical vision, but you have a perceptual vision that is so far beyond physical as to be ridiculous. Plus, you're no longer held by the time factor of linear time. So, in other words, when I leave the physical body, I could be anywhere or any when I wish. So could anybody else. But the overriding factor of that is fear. And now that came with me. I didn't fear Pan, but I felt feared for my sanity. Because you can't just go walking around to your buddies. Oh, good day, Fred. I saw Pan the other day. We had this chat because Fred will decide that he doesn't like your company anymore because you're heading toward the loony bin. And so it's something that you can't really talk about. 
And in fact, I'll tell you, when I wrote my very first book about this, Talking with Nature, I wanted to move so nobody knew who I was when I moved. And I didn't get to be able to move, but it, and it took me quite a number of years before I finally realized that nobody could care less anyway, um, whatever I'd written or whatever I thought I was doing. You know, people just put you down, okay, I accept this, or okay, he's another lunatic. And then I found that didn't matter the slightest bit. And so Pan is a complete enigma that I won't attempt to explain, but it's a spirit that's basically the spirit of nature that has no form. For me, Pan gave me a, phys a metaphysical form in the early days because I was very limited and I needed it. But gradually that form withdrew. And now, um, if I want to speak with Pan, I turn within. And it's like that energy is always connected. And I'm always connected with that energy. And I explained in book two, Through the Eyes of Love, Journeying with Pan, book two, I explained about that connection, how it took place um, before this humanity, um, before we began this, this cycle of the humanity that we're in. And so that's a really, really difficult one. I can't explain, Pan, um, but today I'm completely comfortable, completely comfortable with Pan. And, uh, and if everybody in the world today said you're mad, then I would say, fine, you know, I accept my sanity and I accept your insanity. Well, that was a great answer. That actually helped me to understand more deeply, Pan. And I believe you're working on book four, Through the Eyes of Love, book four. Caroline, the trick here is, the trick here is, and this is, you used an interesting word, understand. Now, this is the problem with the intellect. The intellect needs to understand. Every, all understanding, if you notice, comes from the past. All understanding is a collective. If I was to suddenly start talking to you now in Chinese, you wouldn't understand, probably. And if I said, trust me on this, you wouldn't trust me because you didn't understand. And so understanding has become an incredible limitation because we only trust what we understand and we don't understand even who we are. How many people in America, in the world, could say, yes, I know exactly who I am and what I am? Very few people know that. Very few people understand what it is to be human. Very, very few people understand what life actually is, that it's a dynamic uh, that, it's a, that it's a dynamic of chaos and order continually um, in, uh, moving toward balance, which is the creation of life. Um, very few people understand this on a deep metaphysical level. So people want to understand. And one of the first things I teach in an in intensive, if you want to understand me, it's not going to happen. And if you understand my words, then you're not under, then that is not what I'm teaching. Because what, I try to, what I'm teaching is not held in the intellect. It's held in the state of consciousness, which is intelligence. Now, this gets interesting because, you see, subconsciously, we use the intellect. And because, the, because we're most of the world, 95% of the world is subconscious, 95% of, of their day, which is their life, um, We've become a subconscious, clever intellectual species doing crazy things to the planet, to ourselves. I mean, war, for God's sake. How stupid is that? Um, killing each other for peace. 
I mean, people actually believe you can fight for peace. An idiot knows that's not possible. A complete lunatic knows you can't fight for peace. All you could do is fight for a state of having a winner that stops the war, um, but it doesn't end the conflict. It's simply the seeds of the next one are already there. And so peace begins um, inside. And, you, and in the Bible, it says the peace that passes understanding. Of course it passes understanding. No, you can't understand peace any more than you can understand pain. You cannot understand peace because it's nothing to do with the intellect. Peace is a state of consciousness. People don't even realize that emotions are, are literally consciousness. They are a type of consciousness. And so peace is a state of consciousness. You, you can't understand peace. If you understand it, you don't have it because there's nothing. You, it's not understandable. But intelligence, you can only access intelligence by being fully conscious. And when you're fully conscious, you can experience peace and intelligence knows peace. What I call directly knows it. You see, we have the ability to directly know. It's called mystical cognition. So if I need to know something, I focus on it and release it. And within 24 hours or 48 hours, I will directly know what I focus on. I'll have an experience that fills me up with, with an inner knowing about it. And, but that, I don't know, often don't understand it, but I know. And so understanding, having to need this intellectual need to understand is, is one of the great human limitations now. It's allowing us to proceed intellectually, but it's holding us back in consciousness. And Caroline, what is not so good is over the millennia that we've been, for eons, we've been um, incarnating. Now, all nature lives in the moment. And in that, um, throughout the millennia, nature has been growing in consciousness because that's what it does. We're an aspect that should be growing in consciousness as well. But we've become so intellectually locked in that we've grown intellectually hugely. And I'm not knocking that at all. You don't have to lose that. But we have not grown in consciousness. And this is why we're moving now through some interesting times because in 2012, the button called Change with a capital C clicked. It was depressed. And from that point on, things are beginning to change hugely. The frequency of life on earth is changing. And either we move at that frequency or we do not. And if people say, well, I don't understand, you don't move with it because understanding is not what it's about. Understanding will never understand that scenario. It'll get lost and get left behind with the lower frequency that needs to understand where the higher frequency says, I trust. I don't need to understand. I trust. But you cannot. But then people say, but how can I trust? I don't understand. There's two frequencies. One that's locked in, I trust if I understand. And the other one says, I trust. I trust life. I trust self. So you can begin to see how people are beginning to move into two different experiences of humanity. The ones who need to understand and tr to trust and the ones who trust because I love, I trust, they hold hands. If I trust self, then I trust. 
and how many people trust themselves. A lot think they do, very few do in reality. Thank you, Michael. I'm glad I <clears throat> used the word understand so that we got to hear all about that. That worked out great. Imagine, um, imagine Caroline, five days of this. I can imagine. I'd love to do it. It's fantastic. And one of the other things you, you teach about is appreciation, which is so valuable to all of us. Can you talk about appreciation? Well, it's once again, where you focus, energy flows. So if through your day, you look for everything that you can to appreciate. You start off, I appreciate. Today, I appreciate myself. I appreciate my body. For many of you, your body will go in shock because that's the first time it hasn't been criticized in years. Today, I appreciate my body. I appreciate my life. I appreciate the people in my life. I appreciate my income. I appreciate the fact the sun is shining. I appreciate that in the middle of the city, I can still find nature because nature's there, be it a sparrow or cockroach. Nature is there. There's so much to appreciate. I appreciate the fact that this morning I got out of bed. I can walk. Millions, hundreds of millions will get out of bed and never walk. Um, I appreciate that when I opened my eyes, I could see millions, hundreds of millions are blind. They will never see again. And there's so much to appreciate. And instead of just taking it for granted that you can walk, instead of taking it for granted that you can see around you, you can see other people, you can see the beauty, learn to appreciate. Just think, oh my God, what an incredible gift I have. All these things I can appreciate. That becomes your focus. That becomes your relationship with your life. Your energy flows towards appreciation. Everything in your life, energy flows towards appreciation. And there's more and more flowing toward you to appreciate. More and more for you to appreciate. More and more in life is appreciating you. It's an incredible relationship. It changes your whole life. Just that one thing. If you did nothing else, quit criticism and learn to appreciate don't bother to criticize yourself or anything because it doesn't make any difference except screw up your life. Thank you. Thank you. That's beautiful, Michael. I want to remind people that they can visit your website, michaelrhodes.com, and they can uh, read it more about Choose Love, your new DVD, and your amazing books that you've written. Also, when are you going to start the intensives again? When do you and your lovely wife, Carolyn, hit the road? We start again the end of March next year, and we go. We're in Europe and England, the UK. We go to Findhorn in Scotland, and uh, we go to in in England, and then we're two years ago. I was in fourteen countries, but I decided that was definitely too many. So we generally do nine or ten countries, and most of those are in Europe and and England. And uh, and by the way, that see that DVD. There's a hundred minutes. It's in English, French, and German. And uh, you can order any information. is on michaelroads.com, yes. And it's in, uh, there's a transcript with it. It's all in a PDF file, so you can read it all as well if you didn't understand what I was saying. In fact, probably the PDF file of what I've written is a little bit better than what I spoke because I corrected uh, my language in a few places. But, um, yeah, we start in next, the end of March next year. We generally spend about five months each year traveling. Japan is towards the end of it all. And uh, <coughs> we, we used to go to America. Excuse me. 
but Americans um, Americans seem to be attracted by fame, by famous people. And um, in America, I never really, I was never, I never became famous because for all the years of my first marriage, I didn't want to be famous. I avoided it very carefully. I kept very low key. And now I'm sort of opening myself to the world because I think it's about time I did. I'm not saying what I did was right. It's simply what I did. And um, now I'm opening myself to the world, but um, we seem to have dropped out of America. So when it's appropriate and when it's timing, I'm sure that somebody will come forward who has a reasonable influence on the public and could put me out front there. And if that never happens, that's fine also. There's a lot of wonderful teachers in America. And um, so it's not like you're shortchanged on them. Oh, it'd be wonderful if you did uh, come here and do your intensives. It would be very exciting. Uh, you are absolutely fun to be friends with on Facebook. Michael's Musings. Tell us about Michael's Musings. <laughs> well, I, Michael's Musings. Well, I sort of look at, I just look at life. And um, I wrote a book on um, um, called The Oracle. And... Uh, the uh, musing, some of them come out of there. I often bounce off what people say. Somebody might put something right down I don't understand, and then I would bounce off understanding. So they're, they're you know, not too long. They're just a piece that I put in probably on an average five days a week, uh, my musings, and um, they get translated now, I notice, into French and German and Dutch and Japanese. They certainly get... Um, sent all over the place. So it's generally a, a little wisdom. I, I love aphorisms and aphorism, A-P-H-O-R-I-S-M, an aphorism. An aphorism is a short, pithy um, saying of wisdom, of deep wisdom. Um, for instance, I'll give you one. One of my, I created, I created for myself, I created my own 365. So I made a book, One for Every Day, the, the Oracle. And um, so if I'm speaking, I often hear myself will say one and I generally jot it down. For instance, um, uh, one, an example, um, in the bloom, in the, um, okay, I can't even think of it now, in the, uh, in the bud of innocence awaits the bloom of truth. That's an aphorism. In the bud of innocence awaits the bloom of truth. And so you have to thought to think about that. And in the bud of the innocence of a human being, when they find themselves to be innocent and they reach the stage of consciousness that they never judge themselves because the state of consciousness that judges will never find itself innocent because innocence is a state of consciousness that never judges. Do you get it? And so when you reach that bud in that bud of innocence, then is the bloom of truth. That's when you reach that consciousness, then you begin to see the inner truth of all life. And you see the great vast connectedness of all life. And so I've often had people say, yes, I understand intellectually that all life is connected, but they only understand it. They don't experience it. And an intellectual understanding doesn't give you the connection of all life. Whereas for me, I experience that connection of all life. Um, and it was difficult when I first awakened and experienced that, um, when I first became enlightened, I felt the pain of humanity and I found it very, very difficult. So then I had to choose to focus away 
I had to focus into the joy in humanity. It's like humanity has a song, and the song is completely lost. It's, it's got no idea what the words are. It's no longer listening to the orchestra. The orchestra's forgotten the, their instruments. They've forgotten how to play, play them, and there's this terrible sound. But above that, there is the song of humanity, and that is so beautiful that angels, seriously, angels would weep to hear it. And so when you get, it's, and it's there, and the more people who awaken and listen to it, and, and they become part of that song, and one day that will be the strongest song. Nothing can quench it. No sound can overrule it. And so there is the discordance of um, humanity, and there is also the harmony of humanity. What I teach is how to find that harmony and, and avoid the hospitals and, and avoid the doctors. Not to avoid them, simply that a state of consciousness that loves itself doesn't need them. And that, to me, is wonderful. You know? So it's all, God, it's so simple, you know. It's absolutely <coughs> so simple. It's absolutely beautiful and amazing. Uh, it is amazing to speak with you. We have about four more minutes to go, and you've shared so much wisdom with us today. I am uh, I'm excited about watching the DVD, Choose Love, and uh, reading the next book, Through the Eyes of Love, Journeying with Pan, book four, that will be coming out. Actually, and that won't be that won't be coming out. I retitled it. It won't be book four. It will be Stepping Between Realities. Okay. Okay. It, but it's, it continues the same thing, except it's more out in the galaxy. I sort of spending a fair bit of time out in the galaxy. It's a, it's a great place out there. There's well, a lot of be there's a lot of beings out there. I love it. I love to travel also, Michael, and I learned how to do it from reading your books, and I felt comfortable with my metaphysical experiences after reading your books. Right, uh, yeah. It really helped me tremendously in understanding what I was experiencing, and right. uh, I appreciate that's fantastic. that. Yeah, that's, it's that's wonderful. If I had a last message to say this Christmas or the new year, make yourself a new resolution to choose love. When you, when somebody insults you, choose love. When you um, suddenly realize you're criticizing yourself, stop, choose love. When you're judging yourself, stop, choose love. When you're judging the American government, stop, choose love. Just choose love when you find you're doing anything that has the slightest negative in it, just stop. It's not about negative and positive, it's just choose love. Choose to love yourself. Choose to love your body. Choose to love who you are. And you'll find that you can, it'll transform you if you choose love. One day you'll find that love is real. And that one day you'll find that if you choose love, one day love will choose you. And that's a magic day. Oh, Michael, thank you so much. I thank Michael Rhodes for joining us today. It has been absolutely amazing. Well, I'm glad you've enjoyed it, Carolyn. It's been fun for me too. That's wonderful. I thank everyone for joining us today. Sending and thank you, Carolyn, for having me. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Sending love from my home to yours. I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Roth.